0: Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective.
1: Hello again, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. That's me coming to you alongside Grail Hallett, the former Mighty Might of the Midfield, currently a media executive breaking in the big bucks as he attempts to join the rarefied air that is the one percent of Americans get to bask in. And Sam Griswold, the engine room of Over the Ball, a soccer journalist and Syria ah, enthusiast and expert, as well as the OTB producer. Today on OTB, we talk to the men's head soccer coach at Saint John's University, Dave Mazer. He'll be our guest. Looking forward to getting caught up with Dave. We played against each other uh, in college and the pros, uh, and uh, man, the guy—the guy had game. It's just so funny to look forward and see like he is only thought of as a coach now because he was a hell of a player. But he's, uh, you know, pulling this uh, this team through a a game free season, as it were, in the fall as they all deal with COVID. So we'll uh, we'll talk to Dave and, and see what his thoughts are. We're going to go over Champions League, so much more. So guys, before we get started on OTB, what are you over today? And over the ball,
2: well, first of all, I just want to say I've got this visual of Sam as the engine room as somebody like shoveling coal exactly into the operation to keep it going and he's he does t- he's hitting all the buttons and knobs and making everything happen as for as the Titanic is going down, he's shoveling coal into into the boiler um so just yeah, what I'm over is um these the infatuation with pink away jerseys. I don't know if you've noticed it, but uh, Barca, Chelsea, and I believe Man City, and 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 one of our listeners is going to say that I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure those three have decided to go with pink away jerseys. <laughs> By the way, this is not Macho Grail saying I've got something against pink. It just looks like pepto bismol. I mean, it's just an odd color for, to see on the soccer pitch. And I don't know what the infatuation is with it all of a sudden. Maybe it's just a
1: thing. Is it – no, this is a serious question. Is it like Breast Cancer Awareness Month or something? No, something no, no. Something symbolic no. like that? Or it's you just know, a, a money grab to grab no, a different yeah, colored jersey? I mean, yeah.
2: Sam. Sam's talked about this too. It's just the jersey selection sometimes, especially for away kids, have no connection back to the club. And you honestly, you turn on the game, you have no idea who you're watching because, like, colors used to mean something. Chelsea – you know it was blue at home and they were usually yellow away and you kind of knew that none of that exists anymore so we got pink
1: so sam it didn't take him long for to, to get to a chelsea reference but i'll say this <laughs> of course here's the thing at umass we uh got uniforms one year that were white with a red stripe and as soon as they were washed the first time they were pink and so we played in a pink shirt back in the 80s so sam what are you over today on over the ball <laughs>
3: Yeah, so I'm over the uh, use of the word unlucky in soccer. Uh, I especially think it's poignant to the American game because we love to take on all these Britishisms. And uh, I think unlucky is one that is way, way overused. It does not really feature in the American lexicon at large. But somehow when we talk about soccer, we like to use it um and mostly i just think it does not apply to the situation it is describing 99% of the time uh you know a guy takes a shot and it goes off the post and goes out of bounds you know the announcer says it was unlucky that ball could have gone anywhere no uh, there's yeah. basic physics at play if you hit the outside <laughs> of the post it goes out if you hit the inside it goes in uh i mean yeah. to me unlucky is you know someone hits a shot in tennis and it clips the cord and dies Or, you know, something that is beyond someone's control. So um, I also think it just gets thrown. It's lazy. You know, if someone tries to make a through pass and it gets intercepted by the defender, it's unlucky instead of maybe he didn't read it and the defender did read it. I mean, so to me, I could do well. Or
2: or Sam, when somebody misses a sitter and it hits the post and he should have buried it, that's not unlucky. That's like a bad miss i mean exactly so yeah, what yeah. the post the post shouldn't have even been a factor in it frank well here's right? a,
0: here's
1: another one though here like some of the passes Firmino makes for liverpool yeah he'll i don't even see it coming it's almost like a gretzky you know third man running yeah, no look know, pass. Yeah. no look and someone just got a foot on it you could sort of say like oh my god he spotted that he saw that he knocked it through but the guy just got his toe to it. It's a little unlucky, I, I guess. Well,
3: I, I would say that's a good play by the defender.
1: Right, absolutely. But Firmino's point of view, yeah, uh, you know.
2: I'm with you, Sam. I I, I agree with that. I, I do think it's just tossed around. I mean, unlucky
3: is used a lot in British English in general, and I yeah. think that's reflected in how they talk about soccer. Yeah. And I just think we don't fully understand
1: what it means. I don't know. I All, right. Do it. All right. All right. All yeah. right, chaps. All right, chaps. All right. All, chaps. Right, All, right. All, All right. right. So uh, by the way, first, before I start with, I'm just going to say is um, we got a lot of positive feedback last week on our, uh, on the uh, Twitter sphere, Twitter machine about uh, basically no Americans in the, in the broadcast booth. So it's sort of people are noticing this. So hopefully that, that changes as, uh, as we move ahead in this country with this game. Uh, yeah. what I want to say is I've had a knot in my stomach for four years. So if you're going Whatever you are going to do politically, just make sure you go out and vote, everybody. College kids, I uh, know a lot of our listeners are college students. Do that. Please just vote with, for whoever you're going to vote for, but just uh, make sure you get it. Don't out.
2: mail it either. Do not mail it at this point. Please do not trust the postal system. Drop it off.
1: All right. So, guys, Champions League, is uh, we are in it. Uh, what do we want to talk about first? There's a, a plethora of games to discuss. What would you like to talk about, Sam? Uh, well, I tried to keep, you know, give it the American angle.
3: Um, okay. So in in that regard, the the Barca, sorry, the Juve-Barca game could have been the biggest because we could have seen um, both McKinney and Sergino Dest. Uh, unfortunately, Dest did not feature at all for Barcelona, and McKinney played only about the last 15 minutes coming back from COVID. But um, this, was, this was a pretty interesting game mm-hmm. uh, in general. I mean, I don't know, people are praising Barcelona for kind of turning a corner and getting... A big 2 nothing win in Italy, which it is. But um, I, I think it speaks more to Juve's sort of current moment than it does to Barcelona's. Um, Juve under Pirlo have not been good. They came into this on the back of two uh, ties in Serie A, one against Verona, one against Cretone. Um And, you know, those are lowly teams that Juve are – those are the kind of teams that Juve would beat every single year, even when they didn't beat Inter or Milan. And go on to win the championship so they're they're not their normal selves right now I mean I think it's normal that under Pirlo there's going to be this growth period but every game seems to be some kind of tactical experiment using guys in different positions and trying to implement these new schemes so uh, I think they're very much a work in progress right now and this is very evident in this game and I'm not surprised they they lost but I don't think it means Barca has all of a sudden, refound itself.
2: Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting, Sam, because, you know, the night, or Tuesday night, um, the president of Barca, Joseph Bartomo, resigned, as did the board of directors. And I'm wondering if it's if wow. it's any coincidence that uh, Barca, Coleman called it their best match of the season. Will this free up the team now that this thing that's been hanging over them has been removed? Yes, they still have to... You know, they've got to have elections. They've got to pick a new president. They've got to go through all that stuff. But I just think uh, Bartomeu and certainly his relationship with Messi had become such a distraction. Mm-hmm. And if you just remove that from the equation, maybe that frees them up somehow to just, you know, again, to go back to at least playing a semblance of what they were um, a while ago comes down to players ultimately, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think that has been a huge issue within that club.
1: Mm. Sam, how uh, how long does it take before the the Italian press starts blaming Weston McKinney, the American, murder, <laughs> down for the problems? Well, of- that, that hasn't yeah. happened yet, mostly
3: because he hasn't played that much. Um, but Pirlo <laughs> is certainly getting his share of, uh, you know. Heat, Questioning right? articles and yeah, heat in the press right now. So um, we'll see. I mean, he's so beloved at the team, it's hard to imagine they would right. do away with him too quickly. But uh, it hasn't been good. I mean, I was looking at the, the 538 percentages to win Serie A. I mean, uh, Juve are now fourth behind uh, Inter, Milan, and Napoli. So it's uh, yeah, I
2: don't know.
1: It's Long line of great players that weren't great coaches. So we'll see what happens. Well, but Sam, as yeah. you
2: know, it can all change in a heart. You win three games in a row. Right. And it's all forgotten. True. And <laughs> yeah. and
3: Ronaldo, Ronaldo was out with COVID yes. and he's, I mean, he's been Mike cleared to play this weekend. So. Yeah, um,
2: that's a big miss. You yeah.
1: Know. How well did Griezmann play? People were saying this, he shows some signs of life. I thought
2: he looked good. I, I did. Yeah. I thought he, yeah, he, he, he had a couple really good combinations with Messi again. You know, it's just been so bad that like any flashes of something good is just being rewarded with, Oh my God. Um, Hopefully, he just needs confidence. You you know, guys, you know it. I mean, confidence and lack of confidence is just a killer, even at that level. And Griezmann, when he was playing really well for Atletico and certainly for the French national team, um, he's just a a terrific player. He just hasn't looked the same at, uh, at Barca, and they haven't shown a lot of confidence in him, and he hasn't given them much reason to. So, you know, I hope he gets it back. I think he's... I like Raceman. I just I, – I like him as a player, and he seems like a good teammate. And I'm rooting for him.
1: I think Pogba struggled, too. Maybe it's a French thing, having a tough time playing out of the country.
2: I just feel like Pogba's got some personality issues that are not easy to deal with. So, all right, other games. Uh,
1: Atalanta, Sam? Yeah, I watched Atalanta-Ajax. They went down 2-0.
3: Atalanta did at home and then managed to come back with two goals in the second half, so that was – That was good to see and get a 2-2 draw. Um, The Italian teams didn't do too bad across the week. Um, Inter drew a Shakhtar 0-0. That was kind of disappointing for them. Um, And, uh, yeah, then finally Lazio got a really important 1-1 draw in um, Belgium against Club Bruges with missing a few of their top players who couldn't travel because of COVID. Uh, I was hoping to see Ethan Horvath get another look in for Bruges, but uh, he was unfortunately replaced by Simone Mignolet who was back from his COVID uh, positive test. so.
1: Well, I think what happens is basically Mignolet will have to play himself out of that position, and they probably have some confidence in Horvath now. But I guess, you know, with the amount of games everybody's playing, hopefully he'll get another chance. Would have been nice to see him play. I didn't see the Liverpool game. Did anyone yeah, see that?
2: Yeah, it was okay. You know, it was okay. They won 2-0. Um, jo- uh, Jota? Jota. pronounced Jota?
1: Well, we all pronounce everything it, wrong here show. Somewhere. Maybe it's Yota. Yota. That's Yoda. Yota. Yota. Oh,
2: Yota. Uh, anyway, he scored. He he's looking good. Unfortunately, Fabinho I think limped off that match at the end with a yeah, hamstring that's trouble. problem, that's which trouble. will be a huge trouble since they're already short at the back. At least they've got Allison back, which gives them a little more confidence. You know, again, I just feel like these group stage matches—you just can't do anything stupid. You just got to win, and, and if it's not pretty, whatever you get, you take the three points they've got. Liverpool has got six points. Man City, I thought, looked r- really good against Marseille. De Bruyne was just fantastic. I mean – Oh, he's fantastic. I mean, what a difference. When when yeah. he's playing uh, their team, even with all the talent they have on their team, Kevin De Bruyne makes such a difference on that team. Um, and then um, – I don't know if you wanted me to mention Chelsea, but uh, – Oh, I'd hey, Sam, what do you know? <laughs> Chelsea gets mentioned. I think well, they, they won. They won 4-0. They, they looked good. Uh, Werner scored again. Zayek, Zayk, it was Zayek's first start for Chelsea. He looked good. Pulisic, um scored his fourth career Champions League goal to tie him with Demarcus Beasley for uh, most goals by an American. He's going to certainly surpass that. Um, so, uh, yeah, good. he came on as a sub and uh, Pulisic looked good. So, uh, yeah, lots of, uh, you know, lots of good matches. And, and Man United also t- uh, just kind of thumped Leipzig 5-0. They just put the pedal down. Rashford had a hat trick. So uh, they're kind of cruising along. So
3: How about you know, Dortmund? Did you see that game, Sam? No, I didn't see the Dortmund game this week yeah, after I slagged them off. I didn't
2: yeah, like I it. saw it. I mean, <laughs> Sam, they didn't look great. Um, they won 2-0, and, and Sancho and Alan scored. Um, they didn't look like Dortmund, but they, they were good enough, obviously, which is all that matters, again, to uh, – you know, they'd come off – was it Lazio that they had lost to, Sam, 2-0? Yes. And, yeah. yeah, and they looked bad in that game. Yeah. Um, uh, so. I
3: wanted to point out, too, tough, tough run so far for Jesse Marsh's Salzburg, who've been ahead in both of their Champions League matches – in the second half, but so far have only a 2-2 draw and then a 3-2 loss this past week against Atletico Madrid to show for it. Um, Some might call that unlucky, but I think (laughs) that's just not managing a lead very well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well,
2: Real Madrid was down 2-0 as well. It feels like this season they've been down a lot in a lot of games and managed to come back, and they clawed their way back into it and got got an important point. Um, The... uh, the, in in that game, I think that was the game where, Oh no, I'm sorry. I'm mixing it up with another game.
1: Deep, deep thoughts by Grail Hallett. No, no,
2: no. I'm sorry. I was actually, I was, I was mixing it up with El Clasico, which we can talk about later because there was a, a, well, let's talk
1: about some of the, some of the, the players. We talked about Weston McKinney who's coming back from COVID. He didn't play. um, Talked about Ethan Horvath who did not get in. So we we had a good run there for a bit. Sergino Dest uh, did not feature for Barca. Um what are you reading to that guys anything just just kind of spreading around the wealth of, of games
2: Well he looked good, but Dest looked good in El Clasico he played mm-hmm. in that in the game against uh, Real Madrid and he was and they didn't Barca did not play very well and Desk was one of their few good players so I don't know maybe they were just resting him or something
3: Yeah McKenney also he only played 15 minutes in this game but he's just coming back from being out with COVID so yeah. I don't think that's anything to worry about too much at this point
1: all right, big games coming up this week, guys.
3: Anything that you're looking at? Uh, I got a games of the week run through from 538, yeah. like I usually do. Um, top five games from the five leagues. Lille-Lyon is number one, Sunday Lille-Lyon. at three, with a 73 uh rating. That'd be a great rating.
1: game, a great first name. My name is Leo Leon. <laughs> Bonjour, lille Leon. I am uh, lille Leon.
3: Man United Arsenal, Sunday at 1130 a.m. That's a 69 Ooh. rating. Oh, watch um, nice. nice. Motion that, Gladbach. Versus Leipzig uh, Saturday at 1:30, also a 69 rating in the Bundesliga. Alaves Barcelona is the Spanish game of the week. That's Saturday at four with a 65 rating, and then Napoli Sassuolo on Sunday at noon uh, with a 62 rating is the Serie A game of the week.
1: All right, let's move on to EPL
2: guys. Well, well, let's not also just a shout out to MLS. Let's not forget New York City FC against Red Bulls over the weekend. Oh, that would be the local derby yeah, Dar- yeah. Or is it,
1: do you call it a derby now that it's, it's a derby no it's a derby well wait they spell it d-e-r-b-y but it's pronounced right? derby how about what do you call it the kentucky
2: well a brit would call it derby but I'm where just... are we
1: what what country are we in I, I,
2: I, I can that. never remember flinny i'm sorry is, i can't remember is,
1: you're just so damn unlucky <laughs> all right uh talk about you know talk about your chelsea against man united 0-0. Zero, zero.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, this, this was actually, you know, this was one of these games where no goals were scored, but you know, we've been kind of slagging teams for their poor defense. This was actually a really good defensive battle and it wasn't because the teams weren't creating good chances. It was just because both defenses really played well. You know, they just, they made the plays when they had to, and it was kind of a nice uh, change of pace. Um, Mendy, You know, another clean sheet for Mendy, the new uh, Chelsea keeper. He looked really good. He's uh, Petr Cech. I don't know. This is a very interesting story. He's now back on the Chelsea roster at age 38 as the fourth keeper. Nobody's thinking he's going to get any playing time, but it it gives him a chance to really work with uh, Mendy and Kepa um, in training sessions, which I think is great. But uh, I will – I just will lodge one complaint – because there was a foul by Harry Maguire. Oh, I saw that. As for Laquetta in the box in the 39th minute that would, have, that would, most people would be jailed for the foul. Right, it was right. committed.
1: No, that's something they you,
2: do, you do VAR, in jail. But they go to VAR. This is this mystifying thing. I mean, in real time, maybe you don't see it, but in VAR, it's like a mugging on camera and they don't give the foul. It was just incredible. Was well, what's the rule
1: there though, season. guys, is if he had called the foul, then they would have gone to VAR and would have upheld the call, but because he didn't make a call, was that the problem?
2: Well, no, I think I think VAR, I think they called down to him, and I think they basically said, "We we think you should take, we're going to take a look at that." And um, and
1: they did, and they didn't call it.
2: They did, and they took a look at it, and I'm like, it uh, was unbelievable. First of all, McGuire's about a foot taller than Aspeliqueda, and he's draped over him like a coat hanger, and he's twisting him. Well, ball right was
1: there too. The ball was there.
2: Yeah, it was just it was it was just a bad call. I mean that 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 those are the times where I just get upset about VAR. But overall, I watched, I'm still a fan.
1: I watched the Man City uh, West Ham game, which you know uh, West Ham looked pretty good. I, I enjoy watching them play. Yeah, um, Phil Foden came in though and definitely changed the complexion of the game. Um, you know, as yeah, usual, and, Man City dominated possession, but um, couldn't come up with a winner.
2: They're just not quite sharp yet. You know, I just feel like Man City's slightly off. I mean, you know, they're down in. Uh, 13th place right now, which is not Man City territory. But again, you know, wow. when they rattle off a few wins in a row, they'll be right at this stage of the game. You just have to win a few on the trot. All right. MLS, uh, Sam, the
1: schedule this season is kind of odd. It's all up in the air, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, the,
3: this news was just reported uh, today. The uh, the MLS, who, which is facing the, prosper, no, the inevitability that the season is going to be finished with teams having played different numbers of games, Are going to go with a points per game formula to decide the playoff field. Uh, The Colorado Rapids, I think, were the hardest hit team. They've had, I think, six games get Mm -hmm. postponed that they're not going to be able to make up. Uh, So I, I don't know. I guess it's fair. I don't, don't really know what else they can do. I don't know. What do you guys think?
2: I, I, I think I, we're I making think it up as get, we go, man. Yes, yeah, we're doing. They're not yeah. going to get the games in. There are going to be some people that aren't happy with what MLS decides to do. But, uh, you know, I, I just get the sense they're going to just march on, basically. You know,
1: it's funny. I went to a restaurant the other night, outdoors, um, you know, well spread out, only two tables. And I said to the owner of the place, I said, how are you doing? And she says, oh, we're just breaking even, which in this environment is a win, I think. And so yeah. the fact that they were able to have a season, get through it, um, it's, it's been a win. They're going to have to tailor it, change it a little bit as uh, as they go towards the playoffs, obviously, but at least they've kept the ball rolling, the, the momentum going. So, um, so that's, that's good stuff. I'm excited in MLS to see Carlos Vila return.
2: Oh yeah. What a great story. Cause it's not only return, but score. Yeah, I mean, how great is that? That's a great story. The gal, of course, the flip side of that is the LA Galaxy is just a disaster, and they just fired their coach Guillermo Barros Scalotto. Is it Scalotto? I believe Sam would be the correct pronunciation. but
1: yeah, well, we we go to Sam with all pronunciations. Scalotto.
2: Well, no, Scalotto. You know, they lost. They lost after losing the LAFC. They lost to Portland five two, and he was fired. And they've gone through four coaches in four years, and the Chicharito thing has just been so disappointing. I mean, just it's been a yeah. bust. He has tough one to watch. goal. Tough he has one goal in like the last eight games or something. It's just, All right. Let's
1: uh, let's let's kind of get going to wrap up here. We're going to have Dave Mazur, the head coach of St. John's University, on with us. But uh, let, let's talk quickly about the U.S. men's national team. They have a friendly against Wales scheduled for November 12th in Swansea. Um, Halter going to select mostly a European-based uh, squad, obviously. But that's – not too bad. Polisic, Desks, exactly. Adams, Kenny, Raina. Um, Adams is nursing a knee injury. Yedlin. Um, you know, I watch. I have watched him for years now. Just uh, you know, when he first started, he had that speed to burn. Um, had some skill, but uh, he did make some. You know good defensive uh what am I trying to say you know he started to, to build up defensively he started yeah. to not make as many mistakes but
2: he never really blossomed um what are your thoughts on him guys I, I felt like he had a good spell with Newcastle for a while there right? again confidence you know he's got the speed he was playing that outside back position the way they want them to play it right going up and down the pitch who was mean, a coach
1: at Newcastle? There, I thought he was going to do really well under him. Cause he and,
2: he, and he just and he just kind of fell out of favor. And uh, isn't it Steve Bruce? I think is the well. That's who. That's who's head. there
1: now. And yeah. I uh, yeah, who was there before but, him? Uh, you know?
2: Yeah, I can't remember who was there before him. But okay. anyway, um, you know, hopefully he can get it going again because I think he he could be a good player for the U.S men's national team Yeah, and he
1: sort of played that kobe uh, jones role where he came in came into the 70th minute and just be you know blazing speed down the yeah. corner and you know as an outside back you're like at the 70th minute you got a guy with that that much wheels you're like oh great good cool
2: will be interesting to see if the if the friendly goes off in wales because you know england and uh and ireland are clamping down again ireland with COVID. shut down yeah so yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to be going I, I, by November
1: 12th? I bet you it's less than 50-50, I tell you. Because yeah. things, the, you know, we're spiking here all over the country. We're a little behind Europe, but Europe's in a, in a bad way right now. So, boy, uh, let's all just try to break even, as that restaurant owner said. Folks. Yes. So, all right, so let's take a break here. And uh, when we come back, we'll be joined by Dave Mazur, head coach of St. John's University. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now and Over the Ball is the head coach at St. John's University, uh, Coach Mazer, Dave Mazur. Uh, Dave has uh, taken St. John's to the national championship as well as a slew of Final Four appearances. He's put a lot of players in the pro ranks, Herman Trophy winners. But the most shocking thing to me is he is entering his 34th season. This is unbelievable, Dave, because, first of all, we played against each other in college and in the pros. Uh I don't even feel 34 years old. How does it feel to be older than me, even though we're the same age?
0: Yeah, no, I, I don't feel that way myself. Uh, each year feels like uh, it's my first season, and um, I'm still really excited to coach and to to help kids, uh, you know, engage and challenge them to become better both on and off the field. So I really love what I do, and so uh, it becomes an easy task.
1: You know, it's great. You, you love what you do. Um, you know, a lot of the guys that we played with, uh, you know, in the indoor league have gone on to head coaching jobs, Sasha Sorovsky, Mike Noonan. And, uh, you know, it's amazing. I always have always respected coaches when they are truly coaches because they are truly they shape young men and, and, and women for that matter. And uh, it's, it's a big job, not just about winning games. And I think that guys who have built good programs, good, strong programs are basically guys who say, no, these are this is what you have to kind of live by. Uh, these things and it makes you a better man when you're done and you you know the playing days are over so um, nobody stays in a job for 34 years unless they love it and unless they're good at it so congrats but I got to give you a hard time here a little bit what's what's the doctor thing Dr. Dave Mazer? is that yeah, like a no, Dr. J thing?
0: I'm... No no sorry about that so you know I'm in the education business and uh, <laughs> when I was in Montclair State I earned my my master's degree in sports administration and I took a couple of courses in sports psychology, which were fantastic with a teacher by name of Dr. Gilbert. It helped uh, kind of shape some of my career and, and what I kind of do as a coach and uh, he was fantastic and then when I went to st john's i you know was there for a couple of years and said, "Well let me continue and try to get my educational uh, you know uh doctorate in organizational dynamics and leadership and that also helped uh there was a course I took in advanced organizational theory and um, helped shape me in trying to, you know, do a little better job of uh, following our goal setting, charting and tracking our goal setting and kind of revisiting our goals in a continuum. And um, the year we won the national championship, we always came up with a slogan, but it was dream it, believe it, achieve it. And, um, you know, we kind of made a statement that we'd lost four NCA first round games and we thought we had a good team. And I was very frustrated. We had won four big East championships and didn't feel very successful because, you know, you always end as a loser when you uh, go out so early. And so we created a slogan that said that, you know, we needed to get to the Final Four. The season wasn't successful. So we made a big statement, followed through, and kind of charted our progress a little bit, you know, using journals, which we still use today. And, um, you know, it kind of helps stabilize and focus us. And at the end of the day, as everybody probably knows who's listening, is, it you know, it helps – you know, refocus you, reshape you. And as you move along, it almost really ignites you to a higher plateau when you can look back and see what you've done. And you have a lot of energy and excitement to really get the job done. And that's when we won the national championship. So
1: it's nice. See, you know, the the good coaches, uh, I was saying this before you got on, are philosophers. They really are. Now, what what is interesting to me is, you know, you are known as this coach, coach of the year a couple of times. uh, You've had great success with St. John's. But a lot of people, and I, I would imagine your players, they don't remember that you were a great player. They, they, those are days are way behind you. But, you, you know, you were two-time All-American. Um, you know, they talk about going from being warrior to philosopher. So, you know, as a warrior, as a player, um, how was it making that transi- transition to become a philosopher like you are today and a coach?
0: And that's, that's an interesting point. And I always try to point out, like, you know, all the people that I run into, whether they're older or younger – you know what you know. What great players they were, people they are. You know when you can recognize, and so you know as a coach, it's always nice. Everybody likes to remember to be remembered as a player. You know, we just had a uh, you know a tremendous loss in Trevor Adair, who was the Clemson coach and the Brown coach, and yeah. he kind of led Coach Noonan through that process, and he passed away due to a heart attack. And you know the really sad state of affairs, but he was an unbelievable soccer player at Lockheed uh, in back in the days. And, uh, Dave, you know,
1: Dave, he had a shot like no one, that quick release with that left foot, man. It, would, it was like getting hit with the squash ball. It was that, terrible. Oh,
0: man. That's awesome. So it's nice to recognize people while they're alive. And unfortunately, you know, I wanted to just give a big shout out to Coach Adair, who was a fantastic coach and did a great job and was a great player and was a, a colleague of ours for so many years.
1: Yeah, he was quite a character. I remember, uh, I think he almost took, you know, he used to have that big Hartwick tournament up at Oneana And, you know, uh, that, that team he was on, I think they were D3 or whatever, but they, they were, I think, in the finals against Hartwick maybe that year. And that was based on his shoulders.
0: Yeah, you know, I he, believe it.
1: Yeah, he was, he was a hell of a player.
0: Um, anyway, getting yeah, so, back to that, you like to be remembered as that and you have to transition through it. And, uh, you know, I think all coaches are, 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 you know, players at heart. And I think, as as time has moved along, we all have to adjust and change through the process. You know, you never can stay the same. You certainly don't coach the way you did my first year when I was at Montclair State. And Mm -hmm. I helped coach Riasso was another great mentor of mine at Rutgers. Um, So, you know, you adjust, you know, you pick some things, you're always learning, you're always adding to what you do. And you're really listening and kind of learning and, and picking up from, from everybody. And so I think that's a, a big process of becoming a good coach is adjusting to your players, the times and uh, still keeping the same values and character that is needed to be a coach. And that's something that uh, I always kind of rely on. And uh, we've had a lot of great seasons at St. John's last year, we we're actually ranked number one in the country at one point. So I'll throw that in for a little, uh, <laughs> a little uh, tap out. And then we, we actually played George at home, had a sell out and, 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 Georgetown gave us a good smacking they beat us three nothing let us know that they were uh, ah. they were they were they were intent on becoming national champs which they became and so uh, it was a fantastic season for us but you know I've had a couple seasons there where maybe it wasn't as good we didn't win as many games as we want as a team and really had to you know it made me a better coach because you know you had to really refocus and you know coach to really the character and values you're you're trying to try and instill in people than just the immediacy of wins and losses and so that's something that you kind of talked about as a philosopher and it's something that you know when you go through some highs and lows and the challenges of today's division one college environment which i'm sure that's what we're going to talk a little bit about yeah. is, uh, is a little bit of what i think all administrators and coaches need to know
1: Grail,
2: do you want to start out? Because
1: we want to yeah. talk about what you know, what you're going through right now.
0: Yeah, exactly,
2: Dave. Uh, yeah, shout out to Montclair State first. I, I play in a really good pickup game there on Saturday mornings at that beautiful new field. Um, my brother has, uh, lives right near uh, right near the school. I'm sure. Sh- so, I'm not sure uh, what you play anymore is soccer, uh, Grail. No, man. it's, a, it, <laughs> it's a, it, but no, I was just going to say it's a wonderful facility. So,
0: um, Grail, is is your brother Peter Hallett? That's correct. By gosh, that's fantastic. Yeah. A very, very, very oh, well. individual.
2: Yes. Uh so uh that's there, so, yeah. So uh Pete on occasion when he's not angry with me invites me down to uh playing that game and I do it. But uh, anyway, getting to more important things, just curiously, because you mentioned it, you know, what what an unusual and challenging situation we find ourselves in right now, just in society. But just in terms from a soccer coaching standpoint, can you give us a sense of what the last three to six months have been like?
0: Sure. It's actually been probably a little bit longer than that, right? So it's March, uh, you know, mid-March, we were supposed to have our tournament. We have a youth tournament at St. John's. It was due to go off on a Saturday and we were kind of told, hey, on Tuesday, you know, we have a hundred teams coming and kids and everybody's registered. We did a great job. We had to cancel it and the team kind of, really disbarred because everybody was sent home. And so, as everybody knows, life kind of changed, you know, dramatically because of the pandemic. And I think this is one of these scenarios where, you know, you know, kind of life is bigger than our sport, and you have to just make the adjustments necessary to make sure that everybody's comfortable. They're still trying to be productive, you know, mentally and emotionally and physically, they're doing okay, and they're trying to be respectful because, uh, you know, this scenario that we're in is an interesting one in that, you know, you can get other people sick without knowing it. And, you know, you got to be really care- careful about your confines and where you go and how you approach people. And so, you know, it becomes a little bit tricky, uh, you know, just to handle it as it, you know, we're going through the ups and downs of, you know, dealing with COVID and, and the panic and I couldn't be prouder of our university who's handled it really well, and we've had all our teams back on campus and practicing, uh, a lot of which aren't playing in the fall, but our basketball program is about to get underway. And I know some of the teams in the ACC in the South have been able to play in soccer, but most soccer programs, both in men and women, aren't playing. And I think it's one of those things where we're doing a great job. We've been training six days a week. We practiced today as we had some phone conversations. Actually, in the rain, I was going to cancel it because I don't want kids to get – sick or the the flu or get a little bit of a cold and kind of maybe add to the equation but the kids really wanted to train today oh, and yeah. we practice every day so we went for it and it was uh very fun to be a player today as they were outside and not mm-hmm. good to be a coach in yeah. thirty degree weather with rain falling on you. The the standing
1: there yeah while they're running, running around staying warm
0: for an hour and a half only because i was making sure that we we're gonna make it tight you had to keep everybody moving so we had a great time with practice. And then tomorrow morning we'll have uh, another training session early to get them up and we do our, our physical strength and conditioning outside with our conditioning coach, which is, you know, more light uh, stuff. But we've been training five to six days a week and it's been really good. And it's been an opportunity to really teach a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So we've been really meticulous with our practice preparation on engaging kids in uh You know, all the different concepts that are important as far as, you know, defending numbers down, um, being able to defend man and ball and being a variable, being aware of many variables, which most kids aren't, and being able to understand what they need to do. And then, you know, off the ball, how to make small spaces big, right, with how they adjust their hips and switch a field and be efficient with their touches. And one of the things about college is that the game happens so quickly, here that we start in august as a team and then we end in like hopefully december and we're just playing all the time and then by the time we reconnect in the northeast it's tough to get any teaching in so it's so cold out so we're playing in february and march and we have chances to teach and it's very very cold out so it's hard to teach sometimes in 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 some of those conditions so we've used it as an opportunity and you know we've been really blessed and i i I really have to thank our kids and the the amount of energy they've shown and the enjoyment they've had out of, out of practice. So I'm really happy for them and I'm happy for us. And uh, I think a lot of other programs are trying to do the same, same thing as I have uh, my son plays at Bucknell and uh, oh, I have a daughter who's in our high school season. Now her team's the number one. Um, sorry. So anyway, there we go.
1: No, so Sam, I think that kind of answers what you were going to ask. But did you want to follow up? Yeah, so my
3: question, um, Coach, was was just that trying to find a silver lining, you know, having maybe a little more time to work and focus on things. Um, and I wonder what that's done to your thinking about the potential of a split season, and if you know this has kind of made you more excited about that. And also, just what the plan is for finishing the NCAA season overall, because I'm not sure if everybody's clear on that.
0: Okay. So I think a split season would be tremendous because it gives the kids more of a, a regime to kind of work in a, in a in a weekly schedule to finish at a reasonable time in the, you right. know, kind of mid-November, the beginning of November, and then take a, a break and then come back hopefully later on in the spring and go through what we're going to do this year, which is going to answer your next question, is play our Biggie schedule in the spring and hopefully get in some other games and then... There's going to be a Big East Championship April 14th and 16th weekend, and then after that, they're going to be an NCA tournament that is scheduled to to happen. So all the all the teams are excited about that, and I think we have to kind of see everybody's uh, waiting to participate with some some help of uh, COVID and uh, all, of, all of us handling COVID fairly well. Do they have a
1: a place where they they've picked to play? Have uh, they determined the site? I don't
0: think they have a determined site yet. No. That's that's coming, uh coming later. They've charted out, you know, how it's gonna be and when it's gonna end, but I don't think they picked this up.
2: Grail? Yeah, Dave, uh Flinney was talking about, you know, coach as philosopher and I'm I'm thinking also in these current circumstances, being a psychologist in a way is mm-hmm. a really big part of it because the kids are going through so much stuff. And probably not sharing a lot of what's going, what they're dealing with. And I'm just curious, you know, just from your perspective, um, you know, what you see or what you sense in terms of how they're reacting to all these outside forces. And do you have people on the staff to deal with, you know, depression or issues like that? Which, again, it's just such a unique circumstance we're in. Um, You're probably having to deal with a lot of things you've never dealt with before.
0: I think you know that—that's for sure because COVID. Uh, everybody has, I guess, you know, some different, uh, different feelings and different apprehensions toward it, and and what it means for their life and how their lives have all changed. Um, so it is presenting different challenges. But I think every year in college and in in sports, it's so emotional that kids are always faced with these challenges. You know, are they living up to their parents' visions? Or are they living up to their own standards? Are they playing enough? Are they playing the position they want? Are they getting enough time, um, you know, on the right track to become a pro if that's what they want? So there's so many of these little pressures. And so all the time, you know, we try to try to address those issues with our kids. And uh, not having games and not having to pick a starting 11 and being able to help coordinate alleviates some of that stress. It doesn't alleviate the COVID, but alleviates we're in this developmental area where the kids can actually develop and scrimmage and get better. And that's one of the good things that we have. And St. John's has a a gentleman on our staff. He's been on for a long time called Mark Armiano, who's been a, uh, has been really, really helpful for kids that have some, you know, stressful scenarios, which they may be personally facing and we can Mm -hmm. send them to him. In addition to having our, our psychological services on campus. So, We try to use all that and we try to be, you know, super concerned about everybody's well-being. And, you know, when you're coaching a team, you know, uh, not only your top three or four players are so important to you as a coach, right, to winning, it's that the bottom part of your roster that you're trying to develop is very important, that emotionally and mentally they're happy and they're engaged Mm -hmm. and you're spending time with them and you're learning about them, not only on the field but off the field, so that you can enhance their lives. Mm-hmm. And so as a coach, we're trying to enhance their lives every day. And that's not what everybody wants to hear because it doesn't always mean you're going to put the ball in the back of the net or you're going to right. be outfield in the big game on Saturday, but you're trying to make them part of a part of the process and part of that solution. And, you know, to give them a, a vital role within the group and the team and give them a chance to get better and participate.
1: Yeah. And aspire to more, a greater calling. And, you know, uh, for all of us, uh, you know, Coach, you and I and all the guys on the panel—that means our soccer season in college was absolutely everything. It was our world, what you focused towards. I mean, and I say to you know, people, are like, I like—I breezed through college. You know why? because I wanted to play soccer, you know? So, and then so all of a sudden I'm a senior and I've got a degree and I'm like, I can have some options and opportunities that are beyond the pitch. So, um, and you also have a lot of international players. So that must've just been another headache and their parents are far away and, and you've got to take care of these guys. You become like a, a parent in, in so many ways.
0: Yeah. You know, you you have to deal with, you know, getting them to and from where they're going and then their situations in their, in their home countries. And really division one has changed dramatically for for every, uh, for every university and the international piece of it, there's so many kids from all over the world that want to come here mm-hmm. to play soccer, get an education, play at a high level and aspire to be pros and get their degree that almost every team has, you know, a third to a half to sometimes more of international players. Yeah. And it's an interesting dynamic for all of us as college coaches.
1: Let me ask you about that, coach. Because look, we were American players, and you, like when we were starting and and at our age, we had to just beg, borrow, and steal for a soccer education in this country back then. I feel like there's so many good coaches now. The the opportunities are out there for young American players. But I remember, you know, uh, UConn. I'm from Connecticut. They had all, you know American players, and it was a big deal that Americans were getting a chance. And like a Clemson had not a single American on their team, and now they You know, now it seemed like it was all American players for a long time. And now it's gone to this sort of um, dovetailed back into, like you said, a third to a half of, of foreign players because they want that American education. Right. They come here. Right. They want that. And then um, these top division one teams have a couple of guys from overseas.
0: Right. Sometimes more than a couple. And I think what's happened is a little bit. Some of the better American players, as we've seen, have gone overseas. Mm-hmm. I've gone into MLS and have tried to potentially, you know, try their hand at uh, becoming a pro. Someone who's a little bit younger than us. Uh, his name is Rusty Aronson, who's a great player at Monmouth. And his son now is at uh, Philadelphia Union and being sold to RB. Uh, is he really? Yes.
2: And he's mm-hmm. on the U.S.
0: national team. And he's, I think he's about 17, 18 or 19, right? So those types of players, are Gio Reyna, Claudio's son, who's over in Dortmund, and just players are all over, you know, trying to find their way through the professional soccer system in Europe or in South America or in all different areas to become uh, to become really uh, great players. So you and MLS clubs have done great under uh, really the leadership of Don Garber over the last twenty years. He's done phenomenal at you know building our our homegrown 2018 league where they all have MLS academies. So college soccer, we fight for that talent because those kids want to sign with their, uh, you know, with their local clubs at young ages. And so we're constantly, you know, battling many things. And that opens up a little even more of the international market.
1: Well, we're big proponents of the college game on this show. We, like, really push it. I think it's it's undervalued at times. I think it's undervalued by the NCAA many times. Say, Well, if it's not football or basketball, uh, whatever. You're over there, and uh, you're non-intense sport. And I think that with the numbers of kids that are playing, the growing you know professional league, that I, I think it's got to be given another look um, because we, we were talking a couple of weeks ago. Um, I forget with who we had on the show, but we're talking about the Final Four, you know, that should be a, that should every kid in that area should be coming to see these great college players play. And yet it's, you know, it's all of us old guys are hanging out watching, you know, uh, and talking and, you know, watching some great college soccer, but it, it should be a big, a big deal. And I think it can be, Um it just has to be given some, some more, uh, some more, uh you know, spotlight. And I think, I think your split season is a good start. I think that would be great. You know, we, we always talk, we talk to Sasha a lot on this show, and he always mentions you and Noon and all you guys trying to make it happen. Um, do you feel like it, it might get
0: through? I certainly hope so. I think, you know, maybe the the silver lining, as we were looking for one earlier, in the COVID, maybe that, you know, the ACC's played their five or six or seven games this fall, and they're going to play their, you know, their their finals, you know, their second part of their season in the spring. And it's a good, uh, a good, Opportunity to kind of showcase that. And we have other sports like volleyball and field hockey and women's soccer that are also going to play both, you know, our fall sports are going to play in the spring. So it gives us a chance to kind of showcase that to our administrators because the administrators are the ones that, you know, have to also, you know, believe in it and buy in. And really our student athletes have to continue to voice their concern. You know, and I think – for the most part about, you know, 80, 70 to 80% of our student athletes are interested in having two seasons because that's what our sport has evolved to in most. Right. Uh, I think
1: like very interesting. You're talking about the things that you can actually teach your players now, because you have the time, you know, these principles of defending and not that anybody in this panel ever defended, but you know, you'd say that the, I mean, it's, it's great. You can actually work and shape players. Do you know what I'm saying?
0: At least You can at least make them aware of it and they can work on it without worrying <laughs> about you know, getting killed by Clemson and Noonan or, yeah. right and you know, eight nothing. And, you know, we're trying to avoid that at all costs. Right. We're trying right. to win those games, not lose. Exactly.
2: Grail. Yeah. Uh, Dave, I was going through your roster and uh, I was very happy to see as a vertically challenged soccer player myself, that you have a number of guys like five, nine, five, eight, sure. a little short. And and I, and the only reason I bring it up is because Flinney and I talk about this a lot is the game. There's been such, such an obsession about size, you know, height, size mm-hmm. overall. And uh, I'm just curious, clearly, you know, you're of the mindset that, you know, the player, the, the, the player that's a good player is that without, you know, in terms of the the, the height or anything like that. So just uh overall you know what are your what are you looking for in a player and and is is size or height even a factor
0: I mean I think it's it's not so much a factor and we've become a little more I guess as it's, it's gone on Like Connor Laid played center back for us one year and for for the people who don't know Connor Lade played uh I believe nine years for the Red Bulls as an outside back and he's five foot five and quick as lightning and a kid here from New Jersey who played at St. John's for four years and brave and tough and focused and just became a, an absolute star in the game and always provides this kind of great energy to his team and teammates and always makes his plays. So he was one of our, our catalysts that, you know, really continued forward and had a great professional career as a smaller player. We have a kid called Rafael Bustamante, a local kid again from the Manhattan soccer club who's doing really good as a left back. know he's going to be a senior this year so you know we've had some very uh undersized kids step to the program and do well um so I think sometimes size if you're small can be an advantage you know if you're low to the ground and technical and sharp and a quick thinker those guys are really hard to deal with and you see that all over the place and so it really depends on the position the person and and Pushing themselves through it, so we like to think that we give kids opportunity at St. John's, and they've got to grab it and and step through the door a little bit. So, well, look, uh, the
1: greatest player in the, in the world is Messi, and he's a, he's a small man, you know. That, but I think you know, Grail, you're, you're kind of mentioning we went to uh, uh, NESCAC and it was so physical. Yeah, middle, uh, Middlebury you
0: know, Wesleyan, Middlebury
1: Wesleyan. It was just everybody was big. They were th- long throw-ins, and
0: you know, uh, it's it's still that way a lot, right? So even yeah. if you go to there's certainly some skillful and smaller players in the game that are dominant, you know, and you can name a whole bunch of them on the world stage. But if you look at, there's still a big, strong, you know, element to the game in the back line. Maybe it's center forward, a holding midfielder where they wanted people to have some sort of physical presence. But as you say that, Conte becomes maybe the most, known smaller player who's a holding midfielder, who's just super athletic and super fast and super strong. And he's probably five foot five and 145 pounds, but he's, right. he's a special player and you have to have those special attributes that kind of fit in as a smaller player. Yeah, really so the part
1: of the game that's changed, Dave, And we were talking to uh, Jeff Agus about this, about the outside backs have changed, uh, yeah. you know, professionally. I mean, you look at what Liverpool did with those guys. Do, do you see that in the college game as well?
0: I see it everywhere, outside backs tend to, to look to go a little more linear and forward a little bit more and, you know, have to get back and still defend. And, um, you know, it depends on, I guess, the attributes that your team has and then you right. try to figure out a way around it. I think you see a lot of teams playing with three center backs nowadays because it unleashes the two outside backs into a more of an attacking attacking position, opens up the center midfield a little more to play in and out and it gives a little bit more versatility to the game sometimes. And so, uh, you know, it gives more freedom to those outside backs to really go go forward.
1: Well, good stuff. You know, I feel blessed having been as a player. I was a pure player. I didn't, I didn't read the game as well as my friends uh, who, you know, I said Nick O'Shea and, and Mike Noonan. I said, these guys had a Left soccer. Left footed, right? Left footed. Uh, no? Nick, Nick's a lefty. Yeah. yeah. Nick's a lefty. And uh, he played the outside. I was on the other side, but it was, he would tell me what was happening <laughs> and I could execute, but I couldn't figure it out on my own. And so uh, I just love a guy who can, uh, who read the game and, and then now what you're doing is you're, you're shaping and um, you know, coaching these, these young kids to, to make them better players. Cause look, a lot of guys, one of the things is not just putting players in the pro ranks like you have and winning national championships, but you've also put a lot of guys into the coaching ranks who are out there coaching in, in, in the lower levels and, and moving their way up. And so uh, it's, it's great stuff you do. And I'm proud to know you proud to have been a player against you. Wow. And you're a doctor. So if uh, I need any Ambien, I'm going to call you for a script.
0: So I, I got to give a big shout out to, uh, to, to Peter Howlett, right? So we have, Oh, you know, oh I got to hear this. All no, right. Like, he's going to love this Is he, he the real player? Is he the real player in the Howlett? Really? Kind of our age with maybe a couple extra years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he does a phenomenal job. Technical, sharp, never misses a pass on top of it. Totally in tune with the game comes out and watches games all the time. <laughs> so Grail, he is an absolute student of the game and knows soccer fantastic. You guys have a great family. Uh, Family tree of soccer, so it's well, great to see you, thanks, you know? thanks, Dave. I love well, hey, lo- that I, shout out.
2: Yeah, well, as we've gotten older, we've actually realized that there's no reason to be fighting on the pitch anymore. <laughs> so, so we end up, we usually end up on the same team in this pickup game at Montclair State, and it's That's, great. Just uh,
0: know when you come down, I'll jump up and play. I'd uh, be awesome. You know, I have a just... visitors pass. Oh, excellent! Hey, excellent. the best,
1: the most competitive guys I know have brothers because yeah, they yeah. been, they've been fist-fighting over a tuna sandwich for 20 years, and, and they're just, they've honed their competitive skills. Well, Coach Dave Mazur, we appreciate it so much for you taking time out to, to talk to us today on Over the Ball, and talk to you again soon. Best of luck, Coach. All
0: right, best of luck, guys, and thank you very much, Kevin Gray, and Kratz on a, on a great show.
1: Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Oh, it's great, always getting caught up with uh, Coach Dave Mazur. Great guy. You know, it's funny, I, I like I said to you guys earlier, what a player. And then now it's like being a great player is just a distant, distant memory now. he uh, He's obviously all coach uh, and just a, a shaper of of men. So it's it was wonderful yeah. to get caught up with him. And uh, and we talked about Mike Noonan a little bit at Clemson. Boy, great. I'll talk about that loss that Noonan had to face this past oh my
2: week. God. I mean, I, literally – UNC scored with a second left. That was it. It was a free kick. The ball was redirected, went up in the air. UNC player out jumped the Clemson defender, puts it past the keeper, and the horn blows. That's it, right there. One second left.
1: Oh my god! And well, and that's it's the 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 clock was kept on the scoreboard, not on the referee, right?
2: Yeah, I mean I isn't that the way they do it. They had the clock Yeah, in the I can't stand that though. Thin, I just... It was counting down and the kick came in and there were like 5 seconds left, the ball goes in the air, guy out jumps him. Goal. Ball goes in. <laughs> That's it. That's the game right there. Knowing
1: knowing Mike Newton, oh, like oh, I know Mike I know. Newton. <laughs> I
2: just can't even believe game it.
1: Coming out of his ears. Oh, he probably my God. I would say that's a seven-day cooling-off period. For Let me opinion. tell
2: you what, Flinny. No excuse to get out-jumped in that situation. There is just no way you can get out-jumped by a forward. Says the situation.
1: man who's 5'7". Come on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Zach, come on. It's all about the timing. Hey,
1: want to give a shout-out. United soccer coach is named Paul Gardner, who's a frequent guest here on Over the Ball. Um, he's the recipient of their inaugural Media Career of Excellence Award for his 48-year career in the world of soccer uh, you know and i tell you something i have been reading him forever since i was you know in high school even before and and uh it's what a what an honor it has been to get to know him um you know because like, he sort of writes as a curmudgeon and then i met him yeah. and he's just this he's a sweetheart of a well, guy and loves the game
2: i can't i'd love to hear his acceptance speech because he's not a big fan of the college game
1: no no and, and rightly so in many ways yeah, you know we're exactly. saying it's it's uh it's got to get better we weren't a fan of the college game we watched that that NESCAC game. So, I mean. I uh, were
2: we like two old guys, though, saying nobody plays the way we used to? But, again, there were no playmakers, right? We, we just drove right. us crazy, Flinny. Nobody. I either. think they're
1: like, uh, you know, the coach talked to us after. He said, we're just trying to survive in a league that goes up and down and long throw-ins and you yeah. know, just getting ahead on it. And, and Sam, that's, that's the reason you transferred, for God's sakes. You wanted to play and knock it around. Beautiful yeah. game, you know. So this game can get very ugly, very quick. All right, Sam, what do you got for us this week? Uh,
3: so I got a little history quiz for you guys, college soccer related. Um, first, little notable I didn't mention: um, longtime U.S. women's national team defender Ally Krieger. I'm yeah. sure you guys remember. It was in the New York Times crossword puzzle today, mm. so I thought that deserved uh, just a quick mention. Um, Okay, so yeah, we've been talking about college soccer, so I'll just give you guys a little history, and then I have a few quiz questions for you. So, first college soccer game ever played in this country, according to ussoccer.com, was in 1876.
1: It's got to be Ivy Leagues.
3: Between Rutgers and Princeton. That was my sophomore year. In New Brunswick, New Jersey. Um, However, according to the site, the game probably resembled a a kind of mix of rugby and
1: soccer. It was, you know, in its early days. Um, Uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey, the birthplace of who, everyone? Do you know? Very famous male model, actually.
2: Max Breffos? Kevin Flynn. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> I do know. Well, it was either Max or you, Flynn. It was time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. 1884,
3: the American Football Association was organized in Newark, New Jersey. Um, this is not the same thing as we have now. The U.S. Football Association, which is the precursor to what we have today, was founded in 1913. So this was something different. God, we had uh, soccer roots in this country. What happened early? Well, it gets better. 1885, 1886, USA and Canada play two games against each other, which were the first international soccer games ever to take place outside of the British Isles. Wow. Uh, so we had that going for a little. Damn
1: it, what happened?
3: Uh, 1921, the original American professional soccer league began the APSL. There were seven teams. Can you guys name any of them?
1: Uh, fall river. Yes. Oh, um, uh, fall river and, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Boston, maybe no Uh, new Bedford, new Bedford,
3: (laughs) almost fall river, Philadelphia, Jersey city,
1: Holyoke. uh,
3: yeah. Brooklyn.
1: Holyoke, Massachusetts, right? Yeah. New
3: York city. Yeah. Holyoke. Um, and then Pawtucket, Rhode Island where the. Yeah. The uh, a lot of sauce. Portuguese
1: there, a lot of Portuguese there. And that's, that's all the teams I played for my God. Yeah. The, the Portuguese, the Portuguese paid for my stand-up comedy education. Cause I was living in Boston with my girlfriend and I play on Sundays. I get 350 bucks on a Sunday to play for the, these Portuguese teams. And I fell in love with Portuguese culture and Portuguese people, and just the way they play. I uh, yeah,
3: I play on a Portuguese team here when yeah, they're just, I'm not getting uh, my I, neck drilled into. Uh,
1: okay,
3: when I'm not getting my neck drilled into. Um, uh, you got to tell people
1: what that is. You got some neck work that's done this week. I, I don't need to mention it. All right, <laughs> the, the
3: three quiz questions for this week are, uh, what year was the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, the NSCAA, organized um, by ten coaches who attended the annual meeting of the intercollegiate soccer oh, I bet. I association. Can, I can knows those this. coaches
2: <laughs> yeah. I think um, Funny knows this. I'm gonna I'm gonna say
1: nineteen sixty eight. I'm I'm gonna go with the seventies, nineteen seventy four? That's actually nineteen forty one. Whoa. So, yeah, going oh. back pretty far there. Oh um, see I was thinking of like Peter Gooding at Amherst and, yeah. and Bob DeCranian at Southern and way but, Oh they're going way back.
3: Yeah, all right. Uh, okay, so then what year was the first men's NCAA soccer championship held? I'm going to
2: say early 70s. 1965. It's Something actually,
1: ago
3: was 70. 1959. Oh, my God. Stores, Connecticut with St. Louis defeating Bridgeport University. In the Wow. Final. And last question, what year was the first women's NCAA soccer championship? Well, it had to be later. No, so. wait. Now, to
1: just go back again. Now, this is – we're just going on about the Portuguese. Now, the Portuguese are in Bridgeport. Um, what's the team there? The, the um, They have a great team there. Uh, I forget what they are. And then up up in Holyoke is uh, Lusitanos uh, Ludlow, Lusitano. God, you know, these – the Portuguese have a huge part of of American soccer history. Yeah.
2: Amazing. Yeah. That's really yeah. awesome. Okay. okay. People should know that. All right. Little, Can little we get debate. back to sorry. you? We just went back three questions there. All right. So, I'm sorry. Go uh, ahead, Sam. No, it's all right. What, 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 I'm, what I'm year? gonna say nineteen I'm gonna say nineteen um seventy three. Okay. Kevin? Wow.
1: All right. So what year were they able to vote? The suffragettes. When did they finally we're going way back there. No, I would say uh, later than that, I would say 78, 9?
2: It's
3: 82. Uh, oh. In Orlando with, unsurprisingly, UNC beating the host,
2: uh, University of Central Florida. Oh, UNC okay. went on a run forever. I UNC was winning titles even before then.
1: Yeah, but we had Anson on the show, Durant, yeah. or Dorrance. has time And, um, you know, he was coaching the national team and the men's and women's team at UNC. Yeah. So yeah. I same mean, time. The one thing about that, a lot of people felt that was unfair because Anson, if you wanted to get a shot at the on the national team, you had to go to UNC because you'd get a good look. You know? They produced the best players. Yeah, they did. They did. So what else you got, Sam? Is that it? That's it, yeah. Those were, those were easy questions. Today. That walk I down, that walk down memory lane. Too, those were Sammy. easy questions for Sam, other than we didn't get any of them right, uh, Grail, Yeah, we as usual. We did not do well. All right, boys.
2: So uh, what are you watching this weekend? I'm watching Arsenal, Man United, and yeah. uh, I will be checking out New York City FC and Red Bulls.
1: Sambo? Napoli, Sassuolo. It's my game of the week. Sassuolo. All right. I'll be watching that man, uh, man U game. All right, everybody. That's all the time we have today on Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our uh, guest today on O T B, the head coach at St. John's University, Coach Dave Mazur, Dr. Dave Mazur. Um, Can't write scripts, though. All right, guys, uh, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB.